The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning, good morning. Gosh, I, 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 I'm so, uh, I love our worship team. Aren't they good? It's a... Uh... And I love it when Ray brings out the double-decker keyboard. You know it's about to go down when Ray brings out the double-decker. It's amazing. Hey, if this is your first time, welcome to Story City. We are so honored that you're here. We go out of our way to make sure that you feel like you're at home and this feels like home. So after the service, if you're new, by the way, it's summer. Look around. I have ADD. I promise I will connect all the dots. This is amazing. It's supposed to be the summer slump in, ch- in the church world, but you guys keep filling the seats. It's amazing. This family down here can't even sit together because there's so many seats not available. This is amazing. We love the Diaz family. They're awesome. If you're new this morning, uh, we'd love to high-five you after the service. Stop by the First Steps table. We'd love to give you a gift and tell you that we're honored that you're here. All right, if you have a Bible, we are in the book of James. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we're going to put the scripture on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up for free at the Connect table after the service. We've been in this series called Connect And it's all about what it looks like when our faith is set in motion. And so we are taking our instructions from Pastor James, who pastored the church in Jerusalem, and uh, one of the most practical books in Scripture. And uh, we are almost done. We've got two weeks left after today, and we will finish up the book of James. Let me pray for us, and then we'll just jump right in. Chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus, I pray that this morning the weight of Your word, the weight of the Spirit of God, would bear down on us, Lord, and not crush us because of the hope of you in on the cross, Lord, but I pray that it would bear down on us, Lord, this morning and flesh out the things that we need to hear from you today. And so, God, we commend our time to you. This is your word. This is your church. This is your city. And these are your people, God. So have your way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Um, how many of you guys are planners? How many of you guys uh, know what you're going to eat for lunch today? Uh, you know what you're wearing on Thursday? You know who you're meeting with tomorrow for lunch? How many of you guys are planners? Raise your hand, okay? Uh, yeah, some of you guys raise your, like, a planner. Boom, right there, I'm a planner, right? You, you didn't even need, you just needed the invitation to step up, right? How many of you guys are not planners? Like, I'm just going to take it as it comes, okay? A couple of you guys, all right? Okay, you can raise your hand. If you're not a planner, we just want to encourage you to actually do something. Raise your hand if you're not a planner, okay? A few of you guys. This morning, James, Pastor James, is going to take a canvas. And the canvas that he's going to paint on, the backdrop are our todays and our tomorrows. And what he's going to teach us and instruct us about today is he's going to take these plans that we make. The plans we make for today, the plans we make for tomorrow. And he wants to teach us a few things. He's going to teach us about humility. He's going to teach us about arrogance. He's going to teach us about the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the ignorance of man. He's going to teach us about urgency. He's going to teach us about complacency. And the the passage this morning is not overly complicated. It's pretty straightforward, and uh, it's easy to glean what James is saying. And so I I don't want to simplify it, but I, I hope it will be instructive for you this morning. James is going to wrap this idea of our todays and our tomorrows around these plans that we make. And he's hoping to instruct us and he's hoping to argue that we should see every single day as a day that's lived under the authority of and on the dependence of God every single day. 
So if you have a Bible, James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, this is what Pastor James says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Just pause for a moment. I'm going to do just like I do every week in this series, and I'm just going to take it verse by verse and hopefully not just unpack the passage for you, but hopefully help you learn how to do Bible study for yourself for a moment. Now, James says, now, hold on just a minute. Hold up. Hold up just a minute. Today or tomorrow, you say, we're going to go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. He's speaking to the plans that we're going to make about what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's pause just for a moment, and let's just be upfront and say that our planning is not deviant from being a good steward of what God God has given us. In fact, if we read the Proverbs, we understand that planning and execution and being diligent to, to steward what God has given us, actually that's a virtue. In fact, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 14 talks about our plans. In fact, this was a verse that, that instructed us as we were mapping out what it would look like to be a church that's sustainable in in our city. This is what Jesus said, Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you designing to build the tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So James, let's just be clear this morning. James is not attacking this idea of planning. If you are a, a calendar, if you know what you're doing this afternoon, what you're wearing on Thursday, who you're meeting this week, James is not saying those are all together bad. If you're a business person and you're flying to Phoenix this week and it's been on the calendar for two weeks, James is not saying that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But there are two inherent problems with all of our planning, and James is going to get into it starting in verse 15, and this is what, verse 14, this is what he says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so there are two problems that James is going to assert that are inherent in all of our planning. The first problem that he says that's inherent in our planning is this idea of contentment, or Paul would have said discontentment. Um, if you're like me, uh, much of the real estate in my mind is occupied by future dreams and future hopes and future thoughts and future states of me and future states of my financial account and future states of my vacations with or without kids, future states of my vocational dreams. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes I'm guilty. This is a convicting passage for me to preach this morning. In fact, I'm sitting in the green room before as everybody's warming up and getting the environment set for this morning, and, and there was a moment of conviction in my life for recent things where I'm saying, God, you are speaking to me in this passage before you speak to anybody else. I identify with this lack of contentment that James is talking about here in verse 14. Not a day goes by that I don't think about something in the future. Some of you are just like that. And so the issue that James is pointing out here is that it's a lack of contentment to be fully present in the moment that God has given you. Some of us are so far into the future that we can't sit down at dinner and have a conversation because we're checking our text messages. We can't be engaged in dialogue because we're thinking about something else. We can't lay down in bed at night because our mind is drowned out by all the noise. I identify with what James is saying. Paul says, I have learned to be content in any and 
every circumstance and scenario and situation. The problem is I get caught up in future possibilities. And I often neglect the present realities that are bright before me every single day. The problem is when we can't live fully present in the moment that God has given us, I can almost guarantee you that we will live a life that does not have a deep abiding presence of God in our lives because he's not present in this moment. He's present somewhere in our future. And James says it's dangerous. It's dangerous in our planning to get caught up with a discontentment about today. He reminds us about this contentment by using this word mist. He says, what is your life? It's a mist that vanishes quickly, right? The mist he's talking about here is not the June gloom, like like that's a fog over our city that lasts all day. What's up with that, by the way? I woke up on June 1st and I thought I'm in Seattle. I want to jump off a building. It's depressing. Like James is not talking about the June gloom that hangs over our city all day. James is, James is talking about a vapor, like, like, like the smoke from an e-cigarette smoke. It's gone, right? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, used the same idea. He writes this homily, this reflection on his life. He's come near the end of life, and he, and he uses the same word that James says here. Life is a vapor. It comes, it goes, and you have no idea how short it really can be. So why is it, Pastor James says, you can't live content in this moment? If you really understood the weight of the moment you're in and no promise of tomorrow, it would really affect how you live today. On September the 3rd, 1998, my father was laying in his bed and he was watching the St. Louis Cardinals and Mark McGuire in his pursuit of the home run um, record. You remember that? He was chasing um, Maris, who had hit 61 home runs in a year, and Mark McGuire on September the 2nd had hit 58 and 59, and so my dad was laying in his bed watching Mark McGuire on the night of September the 3rd try to break Roger Maris's record, and and he felt a pain in his back. And the next morning when he got up, he went to work and a buddy of his came in who ran a treatment facility who also employed a doctor. And my dad told him about the pain in his back. He said, just come to my office and let my doctor check it out. Let's see if, if everything's okay. He got to the office on September the 4th, the night, I mean, the next day after he was watching Mark McGuire. And the doctor said, you need to go to your family doctor and let them check it out. There, something doesn't seem accurate here. On the afternoon of September the 4th, the night before he's watching Mark McGuire chase Roger Maris. The next day, he's told he has a rare form of cancer and he has two months to live. I don't know if you've ever spent, if you've ever had the privilege and the honor of, of being at the bedside of people who have passed into eternity, but there's something about the brevity of life and the end of life that brings clarity to all of us. I've been in those scenarios several times. And never once has anyone ever said, hey, can you bring me my trophies? I just want to look at them one more time. Hey, can you, can you show me my resume? Um, can you bring that org chart? I just want to be reminded of the pecking order that I, where I stand. I mean, no, the end of life brings clarity about life. It's brief. It's short. And Paul and James here has this idea that if we would just, if we just understood the brevity of the moment, it would change 
it would change this discontentment we have and the plans that we make in the future that may or may not be connected and ultimately is the problem to what God has said. There, there's a couple thoughts that, that help me in this moment of not living present and fully. The first thought is this. You've heard me say it before. You've heard me pray it before. You can write this down if you want. But the thought is this. This day has never happened before and this day will never happen again. It's a thought that, that someone introduced to me several years ago and every time, I say, every time I'm reminded of that phrase, I'm reminded that this moment is the only moment that God has promised us. And because there's breath in my lungs today, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Neither do you. All of us are, are one phone buzz away from our life being radically altered. You may know that you're going to go to Chipotle today. You've got a date tonight. You may, you may have plans for tomorrow morning to work out, but it could all change in just one moment. This day's never happened before, and it will never happen again. And James is trying to bring to our rear view, our, 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 our front mirror, not in the, in the front mirror. He's trying to help us see through this mirror that this is the moment that God has given us. So don't procrastinate the potential to be fully present with Jesus. The second thought that's helped me is this. Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. I was sitting in an auditorium with about 1,500 teenagers when I was a junior in high school at Ridgecrest, North Carolina for a winter retreat. And there was this guy on stage, big guy, they called him Twig, I don't know why. Um, Twig was preaching that weekend and uh, I had gone to the retreat because uh, I wanted to meet girls. And, um, and so I'd met this girl from Tennessee on Friday night and um, hung out with her on Saturday morning, and it looked like my plans were coming to fruition. This is what I came for. And then on Saturday evening, Twig uh, preached from James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, you who say today or tomorrow we will conduct business and do this thing in the future. You don't even know what life is like. You, you may not be here tomorrow. Twig says, begins to share a story of, of four teenagers, two guys, two girls who skipped school one day in North Carolina, and they're on the way to the beach in a king cab pickup truck, guys in the front, girls in the back, and on the way to the beach, the king cab pickup truck slams head on into an 18-wheeler, and two died, and two lived. The two that died had no professing relationship with Jesus, and Twig stopped for a moment in a moment of silence, and he looked over the crowd, and he said, don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. For me that night, that, I had heard the gospel many times in my life. I grew up in church, had a drug problem, drug to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I grew up in the church. I knew about Jesus. I was in the Christmas play. Um, I, I, knew, I knew about Jesus and I had heard the gospel. That moment in January of 1994, do not put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. The gospel was applied to my heart. It divided my heart as Hebrews chapter four says. I knew that God knew that I was a sinner and there was one of two options. It was a watershed moment for me, a yes or no moment. I could either confess who I was before God and receive um, and trust in Jesus and receive salvation or I could walk away and chance it on my own. That was a moment that I could not put off until tomorrow what I needed to do today. Those two thoughts help me when I think about the brevity of life. This day's never happened before. It will never happen again. 
Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. James says the first problem is this lack of contentment or a discontentment in our life. So therefore, we spend a lot of our time focusing on what will happen in the future. The second problem that James says we have in our planning is this lack of knowledge we have about the future. James says in verse 14 why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what will happen tomorrow, but guess what? God is not like that. God is not like that. We know from Scripture that God is all-knowing. There is a movement in the broader realm of theology that would assert that God does not know what you're going to say next, what you're going to choose next. It's called open theology. I have to say to you this morning, when you read Scripture, you can't find that thread of theology anywhere in the Bible. God absolutely knows what you're going to say tomorrow before it ever came into your head. God knows what you're going to be like 10 years from now, if you will be here 10 years from now. He knew what was going on June 11th. 1492. I have no idea where that came from. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He knew what happened in 1492 because God is all-knowing. But that's not all that Scripture says about God. God is also all-powerful. We cannot read Scripture without seeing the sovereign hand of God all over humanity. He has the power and the authority and the ability to step in at any point in time and say, this is not going to be, or this is going to be. We see it at the Red Sea. We see it in, the, in Jonah's story. We see it all over scripture. In fact, Psalms talks about the, the, the I mean, a Proverbs talks about the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of God. He can manipulate it and make it go anywhere he wants to go. God is all knowing. He is all powerful. And then let this stretch your mind just for a moment. He's not only all-knowing, he's not only all-powerful, but he's always present in every moment in history. The, the presence of God is just as strong now in this room right now as it was in house churches in China this morning. God is everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always present. You ever been in a situation where you're like, oh my God, you jumped in feet first into the pool and all of a sudden you're like floundering around like, oh my gosh, I'm in way over my head. I don't have the skills, the ability, the knowledge, the understanding to navigate this situation. You ever been like that? Maybe it's at your job. Maybe, maybe it's you just, oh my gosh, I don't know how to navigate this situation. God's never had one of those moments. <laughs> God's never like, oh gee whiz, what am I going to do about North Korea, right? Like I need to go and consult some people. I need to figure out what I'm going to do here. Let me just take a step back and try to navigate what's going to happen here. God's never had moments like that. We have moments where we're like, I can't figure it out. God's like, I, I, I've already seen it. I've been there, here, and I'm going. I've already been there. God's not over his head. So God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present in the timeline of history, and he sees how it's all going to unfold. You know, it, I, I walk out of my house, and I can see the Hollywood Hills, and I can see the towers with a Hollywood sign um, is, but I can't actually see the Hollywood sign. When people come to town, I, I like to drive them around Birmingham, but that's the hill right there. You know, just as a frame of reference where we are, um, that hill right there, the towers, the Hollywood sign is directly below. I can't see the Hollywood sign. I can't see on the other side of the Hollywood sign. But God has. He's present in, in every scenario, in every situation. And so the implication is this. The implication is that um, for, for my total and complete lack of knowledge about the future, it is 
Holy arrogant, James will say this, he will use it. It is holy arrogant for me to plan and strategize and plot and, and map out any sort of plan that has God separated from us, from, from us gleaning his wisdom, asking for his guidance, asking for his protection in that moment. It's arrogant of us to plan if God is not present in those moments. The problem with our planning is that we have a lack of knowledge. And if we arrogantly plan what will happen into the future, separated from God being in the process, then James says that's an arrogant posture. That's an arrogant place to be in your life. So how do we plan? How do we plan for the future in a God-exalting way that makes much of his power, much of his wisdom? I don't take for granted this morning that some of you guys are engaged in, in, in the process of making life-altering decisions. And, and I hope this is, is, is going to speak to you. How do we plan for the future in a God-exalting way that makes much of his power and his wisdom? I have one phrase for you, and then let me try to unpack it for a moment. The, the, the solution is to nurture the presence of God in all your plans. Nurture the presence of God in all of your plans. The, the, the problem is not the hope, the dream, the vision, the goals, the calendar, the problem is when it doesn't include the Lord. <laughs> the problem when it's out of, is when it's out of arrogance and not humility. It's seeking our will and not God's will. See, we have, this, I, I, we have this way of life that compartmentalizes how we live. It's a posture of arrogance. It's a posture of, I don't need you except for when I do, God. It's a posture of, the, where the Lord has no sway, he has no authority, he has no power, he has no voice into our life until the training wheels come off and all of a sudden we run to God and expect him to fly in like Superman and to fix everything. That's a horrifically arrogant posture to stand in. Instead, James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, now hold on just a moment, you may have a grandmother who uses this phrase before every sentence. <laughs> I did. If the Lord's wills, I'm going to eat at Chipotle today. <laughs> Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. James is saying, because we... Our life is brief and it's short and it's like a vapor, gone. Because we have a lack of knowledge about the future, our mind should be directed, our affections should be um, encouraged to think about the larger matters of faith and what faith has to do with what my life will look like in the future. And it includes, and it always should include, a submission to the will of God in my life. James's point is that our future plans which are right and good, should be informed by, driven by, fueled by, encouraged by a greater reality. If you plan vacation next month, you're going on vacation in July, praise God. James isn't saying, you evil one, I can't believe you planned vacation. James is saying vacation should be informed by, informed by your role as a husband or a wife, as a child of God, should be informed by the discipline of Sabbath, 
not saying it's bad to plan to go to Yosemite next month. He's saying that that vacation should include this moment where I am in the process. So, so over in Colossians, over in Colossians, um, the writer here, I want to I give, give you this one thought, and, and we're going to conclude our time together. The writer in Colossians says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. He goes on to say, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's speaking to believers here this morning. Um, If our life is not hidden with Christ, this is what he says, here's what he said. When Christ, who is our life? Believers this morning, if, if... if that, if that statement is not true and instructive of you, in Christ, who is our life, then the reality is we're just practically atheists who attend church on Sundays. In Christ, who is our life, all of our plans, the fuel, the weight, the drive of everything we're doing is Christ, who is our life. Your vacation, your finances, We want to be a generous family. Not because we want to be generous, because we want to live under the weight and the authority of Scripture that commands us to do so. I want to work in such a way that stewards what God has given me, the influence here, the the, the ability to shepherd people. I want to steward that in a way that, that honors the Lord, not exalts me. Why? Because Christ, who is my life, A lot of people plant churches because they want a platform. They want a radio show. They want to be on TV. They want clicks on their blog. Let me tell you something. That is the wrong, that is the fast way to oblivion. The plans of our hearts should be driven by this understanding that Christ, who is my life, I don't have work. I don't have home, I don't have um, sports, I don't have hobby, I have my life. Who is in Christ? James is trying to assert to us this morning that your plans aren't a bad thing. Retirement accounts aren't a bad thing. They're just driven by Christ who is our life and that's James's argument here. And then he concludes, He concludes in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and they don't do it. It's not James saying, if you know what you ought to do, if you you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, there's some things in life that are obvious, right? There are some sins in life that are just obvious. Should I smoke crack today? No, not the will of God. Should I make a life-altering decision in my family and in my home? Not so obvious. James is saying, though, if you know what you ought to do, not not if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it. He's saying if you know what to do, if you know what to do, you should do it. And if you don't, it's, it's sin for you. Some things are obvious. Adultery, lying, stealing, cheating. Some things are not so obvious. 14 years in youth ministry. So all I ever wanted to do, God, when I'm done with youth ministry, my shelf life is over. Put me out the pasture. Let me go sell real estate. Do something else. I, I, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't. 
Things begin to shift in our life after 14 years of youth ministry. And all of a sudden we wake up every day and this idea of church planning is on our mind every single day for eight months. God, thank you, really, but no thank you. I don't want to be a pastor. My wife says, maybe we should begin to start praying Exodus chapter 33, 15 and 16. Moses, near the end of his life, has learned to trust God and he says, God, God, I know you're, you, you, I sense that you're saying to get up and go from here to the next place, but God, if, if where I am going does not include you being there, then please protect me from going or protect me in the moment. So we begin praying that prayer. God, we're not certain, but we just sense. We have mentors that are speaking into our life who begin to speak wisdom, and they say, we can see this in your life. We're reading scripture, and we believe this may be what God is saying. And so after 14 years of youth ministry, our shelf life is over, and we just want to pack it up and ride into the sunset and be done with ministry. God begins to shape and change our heart. Some things are not obvious. Some things are. Smoke crack? No, not the will of God. Move your family to the entire opposite coast of North America, uprooting everything in life. The soil of our life was not rooted in discontentment in the moment. I just need you to hear that. I don't know, God, but I sense that this may be what you're doing. One pastor said, he said, don't, don't, don't call me crazy. Charismatics will say amen. Bible teachers will say, let's get out of here. But this very theologically sharp man who's a pastor of thousands said, it was a feeling I had. <laughs> Informed by scripture, driven through prayer, confirmed by people who were speaking into our life who love Jesus. Should I change? Should I make this plan in the future? I'm not certain, but I feel like this is what God's doing. Because in the moment, if you say, God told me to do this, and it doesn't happen, you're, you're kind of in a quandary. Like either you have to humble yourself and be like, yeah, actually God didn't say that. I'm just crazy, right? Or yet, maybe the more appropriate way to approach our plans in the future is to say, you know what? If God, if you will, we will move in this direction. But God, if we make this choice and this decision, we just ask for your protection, your guidance, your support, and your wisdom in, in our decision-making that may have gone against the will of God that we actually didn't hear you. James says, if you know, that's what you should do. Pack up your family, go to the West Coast, start a church. If you know what you should do and you don't do it, that is sin. James is a book that without a cross, <laughs> without a cross, a message like this could be crushing to us, right? I've got my plans mapped out. I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've got the whole, I've got my entire life mapped out. I know what I'm going to wear on wedding day. I know who it's going to be. I know what my job's going to be like, my bank account. I know where I'm going to live. It can be crushing when James looks at us and says, you fool, you fool. You don't even, you can't see into the future, but if God wills, it can be crushing without a cross. But Jesus offers hope and forgiveness. The New York Times op-ed writer talks about humility. He's not even a believer, and he says, humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, but accurately about yourself. It's an adequate view of your own nature 
and a realization that you are not equipped to perform the task that God has asked you to perform. Over and over again in the book of James, we're hit squarely in the face with the reality that we are not equipped to do the things that we've been asked to do in and of ourselves. But when we look to the cross, we look to the grave, we look to the hope of salvation, we look to the Spirit of God who enables us, we find Jesus looking at us across the table and he says, yeah, I know, you left me out of the plans yesterday, but get up, let's keep running. Yeah, I know, I know. You didn't surprise me by that action and that plan. I get it. Let's keep running. Today, maybe it's a moment for you to come before the Lord and you're wrestling through the future. Maybe you have made your plans and they've been absent from the presence of God. Maybe you need to confess that before the Lord today. Ask for his wisdom, his protection, his guidance. And then maybe finally, there may be somebody in the room this morning who came into an environment like this. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe this is your first time. And you've been putting off until tomorrow what you need to do today. Maybe that includes a relationship with Jesus that begins today. God created you, Genesis 1-1. God loves you, John 3-16. There's a problem between you and God as you currently stand. Romans 3-23, it's called sin. Romans 6.23, the Bible says, if there's never a resolution to your problem of sin, the result is separation, both in this life and the next. Romans 5.8 says, but God in his wonderful, glorious mercy and his love for humanity, which includes you, he died on the cross to save you from your sin. Romans 10.9 and 10 says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, turn from your sin, Not that you can be, ought to be, might be, but that today, not tomorrow, today, you can be saved. John 1.12 says, those who call on the name of the Lord have been given the right to become a child of God. Maybe you've been putting that off. Maybe today is the moment where the Spirit of God has broken your heart in two, and you know that God knows that you're a sinner in need of salvation. This is the moment. Don't put off until tomorrow. (sighs) Gone. I-5, we read on the news tomorrow. (sighs) Gone. want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the moment you've given us, Lord. God, thank you for the hope in Jesus on the cross. Without that hope, without an empty grave, all of the words in Scripture where you command us, Lord, would seem hopeless and helpless and crushing. Jesus, I pray that the Scripture this morning, the weight of it would bear down on us, Lord. God, I pray that the the weight of this idea of our plans absent from you would crush us this morning to the realization that we are just a vapor. We are just a mist. And we lack the understanding to plan for the future absent of you. And so, God, would you offer forgiveness for those of us in this room this morning? Jesus, those of you who don't know you, I pray this would be the moment that they would give their life to you. We're going to stand and sing a song. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It doesn't matter who's to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. Just go ahead and not looking around. Here in a moment, we're going to close our service out. If you've never given your life to Jesus and trusted him for salvation, can I ask you to do something? We're not going to embarrass you, make you stand on the stage, do anything you don't want to say. But if that's you this morning, can I ask you to do something? Maybe you just come right down front. There's some folks down here. Corey is down here with his hat on. Kiara's down here. Miss June will be down here. 
You can find one of our pastors and say, I need that transforming relationship with Jesus. All we're going to do is walk through a few scriptures, say, praise God, this is the best thing that ever happened for you. Give you a Bible if you need one and help you to begin this journey with Jesus. Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. And don't worry about who's in front, back to the right or to the left. This is the moment that you have between you and Jesus to acknowledge what he has said to you. Lord, we love you. Speak mightily in these last few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand together.